Welcome to the Big Break Cycling Podcast. I am your host, Ang Ha, and as usual, I got my co-host, Nathan, no stone unturned Ong. Uh, this episode is uh, a little special. Uh, we do have a special guest as we try to, here on the Big Break Cycling Podcast, bring local friends who are you know very passionate about cycling too and talk about um, certain topics. And on this one in particular, we're, we're going to talk about uh, training with power, riding with power, and how it can be helpful. Um, on a previous episode called the 10,000 hour rule, we kind of touched on um, two types of, I guess, training tips about putting in the hours and also make sure the hours that you put in is deliberate. Um, that's where, you know, you can kind of master and be good at something that you want to do, regardless of any sport or any um, hobbies. Uh, so, the guest today we have is Joe Siegel. Uh, he is a good friend of Nathan Ong, and I'm going to hand it off to Nathan to give a brief background of who this guy is. Uh, thanks, Ang. Uh, yep, this is a special episode indeed where uh, one of my closest riding buddies named Joe Siegel uh, will be joining us on the podcast. And basically, yeah, I've known Joe uh, since I was a cat five, well, known of him. Uh, because he was one of the the faster guys that you, as a Cat 5, you know, you mark all those fast guys in in races and stuff. And eventually, uh, when we were racing together at uh, the tour of, I think, Turkey Hill, um, we eventually, you know, kind of had a mutual respect and and reconnected at a a local Greenbelt training race. From then on, as Cat 4s, we joined the same team, uh, Kelly Benefit Strategies, which is based in Baltimore, had a... uh, an okay season together uh just you know kind of started to chat with each other more frequently uh on email and when we both uh, got our upgrades to cat three we joined the uh baltimore-based team 2020 so uh that was a really cool season for us uh for us both we traveled to different races together such as the torpage county um, near luray virginia uh we you know, didn't see each other too often actually in the seasons because admittedly we both had pretty different schedules um, just as far as, you know, being able to make different races. But that season as Cat 3s, uh, we, um, you know, just in my opinion, we did really well. We almost dominated the whole uh, Cat 3 scene in Mabra, uh, you know, just to be humble, of course. <laughs> uh, Joe, he had won the, the Mabra uh, bar um, for himself and uh, myself, I had won the Cat 3 Mobber Championship. Uh, not to mention, too, that in the Criterium, I believe Joe got uh, second place, I think. Um, he may correct me if I'm wrong. I, second or third. But uh, anyway. Second. Uh, what, <laughs> second. He's corrected me. Um, he has since moved to uh, Massachusetts and then from Massachusetts now resides in New Hampshire. Um, he, you know, has moved up there with his uh wife and and newborn baby so he's making a life up there and uh it's great to have him you know on our show so just want to welcome uh joe siegel and hopefully you know he can let us know how he's how he's doing and things that he's up to so um yeah joe tell us about how things have been and uh things that have been going on hey thanks for having me this is joe um yeah me and nate go way back uh it's been fun racing with him and Still keeping in touch with him. He's one of my most frequent texting buddies about all things cycling throughout the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, real quickly about being humble. Um, 
Nathan forgot to mention that I also won the TT championship that year as well. So ah. I just had to drop that in there because, you know, cyclists are known to be humble and I'm trying to break that mold right now. <laughs> it was almost a clean sweep of Mabra Cat 3, of course. So Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. Things have been good. Um, the scene up here is different um good and bad from mabra mm. it's been fun transitioning um it's a uh, new england uh bike racing association so nebra um slightly different from mabra um <laughs> couple vowels and consonants yeah <laughs> um it's just a it's a fun it's an energetic scene up here it is centered a lot in massachusetts and when i moved up here and raced there you know some really strong group rides going on. You know, you've got like pros that are dropping in, some former pros, some guys who are, you know, pushing 400 watts on a group ride and asking you like, why aren't you pulling through? And I'm like, uh, cause you're doing 400 watts. <laughs> um, so it was fun moving up here and just, it was totally different from my experience in Baltimore. Baltimore was a little, there weren't a ton of people around Baltimore. I know DC was huge, but um, yeah, I think Boston was like DC with just a really strong cycling community. And it was, a, it was really fun to move up here uh, and start to become part of that. And uh, yeah, besides the winters, it's been pretty fun. So uh, can you tell us what team you're on now and you know who you're representing? Yeah, so right now I'm racing for a team based out of Boston. It's called Community Bike Racing. Um, it's a local bike shop in Boston. Uh, they're, you know, kind of our flagship sponsor and provide most of the teams with some pretty decent bikes from Felt, which I'm a big fan of. Um, not to plug Felt, but um, <laughs> I actually really like the bike. Um, yeah, so Community Bike Racing. Awesome, awesome. Um, now when you had left Baltimore, uh, you know, you were, had moved up to, to being a cat too. And, uh, can you tell me like now being in the Northeast, uh, you know, what's your experience like, like with racing and, and how did that transition, you know, how did that treat you? Um, so yeah, not going to lie at the end of my cat three season, I had not upgraded to cat two. Um, I had all the points. I think it was actually like I might have been in my mandatory upgrade status right at the end of the season. Um, I did not upgrade yet because I didn't know where I was going in Boston. Um, I just kind of, you know, sent some emails out because I knew nothing. So I sent some emails out for a team, um, got some responses back, met up with a guy who happened to be in Mabra at the time um, visiting and rode with him and said, yeah, I'll join these guys. Um, that was a team called Grinta. Um, and they've, um, I kind of, I left that team with some other guys to form the new community bike racing team. Um, but yeah, it was a funny kind of story and just something, you know, New England um, has a rep for being elitist. Um, I don't know if you guys know that, but I think it carries over to the cycling scene as well. Hmm. Um, when I had my like 39 points or whatever, um, I actually got denied my upgrade to cat two by the new England, um, upgrade coordinator because he didn't think that my Mabra points were good enough for Nebra. <laughs> um, so that was kind of a shock. Um, and that kind of set the tone for uh Nebra racing for me. So I'm like, what? Like, 
mm. you know, you can you can get a mandatory upgrade, um, and yet you're still not good enough to upgrade a Nebra. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just a good story. I mean, I think he was actually just trying to look out for me. Didn't know where I was going. Didn't know I had a team up here. Thought I was just alone. Um, but he, you know, an email back saying, "Hey, you know, I I know what I'm doing, and and I got the upgrade." So that's good. Yeah, you definitely definitely are strong enough to to warrant that. So Nebra, I, I don't know what you were thought. You, I don't know what they were talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. So then, while you were racing, uh, I remember you telling me that you got a coach, which was you know, way different than how, how I had known you in Baltimore. Right. Um, can you tell us, you know, what, what was the reasoning behind that? So I started, you know, before cycling, I actually got started racing in triathlons. And one of the things I did was kind of after my first year is I poured into just learning how to train myself, um, instead of just winging it or finding random, you know, bad training plans on the internet. Um, so I really poured into like, teaching myself the fundamentals of training and periodization and coaching or not coaching, but training yourself. Um, and that's what I did. And I, you know, translated that over to cycling and got more specific into cycling. Um, but then in my cat five, cat four seasons, I realized that I am terrible at coaching myself. I was really good over the winter. I could be disciplined. I did my hard days. I did my rest days. And then I got outside and, you know, kind of all bets were off. It was, turned into a, you know, just kind of hammer fest every ride or I don't, you know, I can't do intervals because it's too hilly or there's traffic type thing. And I had no discipline and I burned myself out um, a couple of years actually, like before the season was even over. Um, so at the end of the Cat 4 season, I was talking to Lindsay and um, I actually saw uh, Derek Dalzell had posted on Slow Twitch that he was a new coach and looking for clients and, um, had a fairly attractive rate, you know, he's just getting started. So, so cheap rate. And I pitched it to Lindsay and she said, yeah, go for it. So I contacted him. He was really smart. Um, you know, he and I agreed on a lot of things and we disagreed on a lot of things. So that was, I think a good thing in our relationship because we were both coming with different perspectives. Mm. Um, I was there to tell him, you know, I believe in this type of training or this method, and he's there to tell me, no, like that's appropriate sometimes, not all the time, um, things like that to kind of play off each other where, um, you know, if you're just looking from yourself, you get to, um, you, you get your blinders on and you can't see the big picture. So even though I, I kind of knew what I was doing, having the outside perspective, the unbiased perspective of a coach um, was very helpful. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, and even now, even though I am coaching now, I still have Derek as my coach. So, I mean, just for the listeners, too, uh, you know, uh, while Joe was training, like, a lot, and he mentioned that he got a coach, Derek Dalzell, um, it was really unfortunate that uh, during 2016, in June, I had uh, gotten a text from him and, and messages and, and things in our in our friend email thread that he had actually gotten into a car accident on his bike. And, um, you know, I was really, really sad uh, for Joe at that time because, you know, one, obviously it's a friend that's getting, you know, hit by a car. And and two, uh, you know, I knew how, how good he was going. I was, 
you know, Strava stalking his numbers and, and seeing kind of the season that he was having. And I knew that, you know, getting a cat one uh, last year was on his, um, on his radar. And in all intents and purposes, it was going to, he was going to get it. Um, and I just want to ask Joe, uh, you know, can you kind of just recount, uh, you know, kind of the things that were going through your mind um, after you got into an accident, but then also really tell us about, um, you know, how you used, uh, you know, training with power, how you used a coach uh, to kind of get back onto the road, um, in my opinion, pretty fairly quickly. Yeah, so um, so this was um, 2015. Yeah, I just moved up to Massachusetts, and it was the worst winter ever. I basically didn't see outside on a bike from January 1st until I think two days before my first race in the middle of April. (laughs) Um, It was also the year Zwift was introduced um, and I was in the early beta program. So um, I did have success on the trainer indoors um, using that to some extent and just with the help of a coach um, staying super, super focused. you know, you go outside, you get distracted, you take, you know, there's, there's definitely a time and a place for free rides and, you know, just free riding, cruising. Um, don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, if you can just hammer yourself with the specific workouts, you know, you're doing your intervals, you're doing this workout for this reason, specifically you're resting here. Um, and you can hit your power numbers exactly on the trainer. I mean, that's all I did. And I, you know, Luckily, I think, um, one being nervous and scared about upgrading cat two made me super motivated. And then I had something like Zwift to help me a little bit. And, you know, there were Zwift races and stuff that were kind of fun to do. Um, so yeah, that got me, that got me pretty good going into the season. And I was start, I started the season and I had some really good results. I was kind of, um, always like one or two steps off the podium, um, in a few races, uh, which was really exciting, you know, super awesome being in that kind of shape, having just moved up here and with the, you know, it's, it's Nibra now. So it's like four steps above Mabra, according to everyone up here. <laughs> it's the um, elite, elite racing in the North. It is, you know, the Nibra cat four is the Mabra cat one. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was awesome. Um, I just finished. I think uh, the Massachusetts State Road Race Championship, and I don't remember if I was first. I think it was like eighth in the race, but I got first or second, and they split out the age groups um, for the state championship. So first or second in my age group, I forget which. That was, you know, kind of cool. They gave me a medal. Everyone loves medals, so mm. <laughs> that was fun. And then, uh, yeah, car. Um, out on a training ride, middle of uh, middle of the day, broad daylight, turned left in front of me, and I, you know, he said he didn't see me, so hit the side of an SUV, uh, snapped my right patella in half, um, which was a fun experience. Um, had to get some surgery. Uh, luckily, everything else was, you know, just a bunch of stitches and bruises. Um, otherwise, uh, but yeah, by so this was June. And by October, end of September, October, I was allowed to take my brace off my leg and start um, 
start pedaling a bike again. And what was fortunate was the best form of physical therapy they could recommend was riding a bike. <laughs> and I said, well, done. Um, do that, one, that one I'm definitely going to do. <laughs> you know, you know all this weight stuff. I'm not, in, I'm not into weights and, you know, that type of stuff. But biking, yeah. I, can, I can handle that one. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was a struggle because obviously things hurt and my leg had atrophied to a, you know, comical extent. Um, but then to circle back and touch on your point about power, um, one of the things I did knowing that, you know, I'm going to have this huge leg imbalance was invest in a double-sided power meter. So I've got the power tap pedals, which independently measure left, right power. And that was something I wanted to see and track, Mm -hmm. um, as I was trying to rehab, you know, what's my left leg doing and what's my right leg doing. So using that power meter um, and using the double side, you know, I can tell I got on the bike and it's like, I was actually kind of impressed to know that my right leg could still do like 40% of the work where my left leg was doing like 60%. Um, And it was, you know, fun to watch after, you know, the rides and seeing, okay, I'm at 40% and 41% and, oh man, now, you know, this hard, this hard effort I did, I got up to like 45%. Um, and using the double-sided power to kind of watch my legs come back in balance. And, you know, I can also see my leg growing in size um, as the muscle comes back. I was doing strength work as well, working with a physical therapist. Um, that was necessary. But, um, yeah, power was, you know, one of the things that really helped me focus to have, you know, goals, um, to know where I was and where kind of, you know, kind of where I needed to be. Not everyone, almost no one is actually balanced in terms of their power, but knowing that, you know, 40% is way too low. Mm. Um, you you want to be, you know, plus or minus five or so is a pretty average range for power so working myself back there and just watching as it's still moving as it's still moving and then when it finds its you know equilibrium um what that is and then it kind of know hey my leg got back to where it was um that was fun that was fun motivating to be able to um see that use that to track my recovery joe can you uh can you share with the listeners how long it basically took you uh, to get back to your previous level? Um, I mean, share how, how long you were off the bike, you know, how long you had to train and, and have you reached your, your previous level or even gone, gone past that? Yeah. So um, it took me two, two and a half months to even step on a bike again. And, you know, the first time I'm stepping on a bike, I'm doing, you know, a hundred Watts, like, just barely able to spin my knee um, and move because of range of motion issues. Um, So yeah, started, so that was like September, October. um, And I'm thinking, can I get ready for 2016 season? You know, that's um, half a year away, but that was my goal to get back. And um, I honestly did not think I would ever get back to where I was. I thought, you know, this was my you know, maybe I'll get back to a certain level. I was already thinking about asking, you know, how can I request a um, downgrade? From, <laughs> you know, I just upgraded CAD 2. 
Um, how can I request a downgrade? Did they, did they let you do that? Um, but, uh, you know, it went well. I had a long time to do the work, um, kind of built slowly. I'm a very methodical builder. Um, I'm not a guy who goes out and does, you know, 20 hours of training in a week. Um, I kind of, you know, build slowly week over week over week over week. Um, and I don't do those massive, you know, massive big weeks recovery, big weeks recovery. Um, I'm just very methodical. You know, you look at my like CTL progression, um, which is an accumulation of my training stress. Um, it's just a very steady climb, no peaks and valleys. Um, so that's how I like to work. That's how I kind of, um, thrive. And I just did that up until, you know, I think it was like March when, uh, February or March when I started to get outside again and, you know, okay. Um, these roads that I rode in November and was super slow and I, you know, I'm using Strava now to see, um, not able to crack the top 10 on a segment now. Okay. Now I can take these KOMs on these segments pretty easily. Wow. Um, well, maybe not easily <laughs> myself a little too much credit there. Uh, but yeah, that was actually one of the, one of the metrics that I went by was, oh, okay, this last, this one I struggled on a lot and now I'm, you know, a minute faster and I beaten, you know, taking a KOM or something like that. So nice. Yeah, and then I think it was around February or March where I realized my CTL, that training load, was pretty close, um, even starting to get ahead of where I was in 2015. So that told me I was doing as much work as I was doing the year before and just doing power tests. Um, I could tell that my power was there and I was at or better than I was uh, the previous year. And, you know, it took the it took the six months to get there. But, yeah, by that time, by spring, by the time season was starting, um, I was basically back to 2015. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good comeback, I would say. And then I know you, you mentioned this in your brief uh, introduction that you are now a father. So you're, you're now that typical crunch cyclist that we always hear about. And every bicycling blog talks about, oh, the time crunch cyclists how to train so (laughs) but now you know you're you're a a case study um and then you also mentioned that you're not a guy who does big training blocks like 20 hours you're very methodical so did you have a new method to train around having a kid and did you think um i guess training with power help you with that um can you elaborate yeah, so um, I had a baby girl in November of 2016, uh, and leading up to that, and then immediately after that, um, you know, I was off the bike. There were other things going on. I was admittedly a little burned out from 2016 because I'd been, you know, building for an entire year. I took a pretty good off season to to focus on family and stuff. Um, And then, yeah, like January 1st decided, okay, um, I still want to actually try and race this year. And talking to Derek, um, he had apparently been planning this all along, but 
he wanted to build me to run and make a make a run at the amateur TT championships. Um, and when he kind of dropped a hint at that, I said, oh, yeah, and you know, that's going to be under an hour. Um, I'll have, you know, an hour a day to train, you know, a little more. Um, but that's doable. All I got to do is do lots of intensity. Um, I don't have the time to go out for five hour base rides. That's okay. I don't need that. Um, so suddenly I got really excited about biking again and had a purpose and a goal and using, you know, some of the, the tools we have at our disposal now, um, I'm testing my coefficient of drag. I'm plugging that into programs and I know what my power needs to be. And now, you know, I have a very specific goal. I've got to get my coefficient of drag, my CDA down to a certain number. Um, and I'm doing that, I'm testing that. And then I've got to get my power up to a certain number. And if I can hit both of those goals, you know, I have an expected time that I know I can hit on the championship TT course. Um, so yeah, it's given a ton of focus. Um, it's given a ton of focus to both aspects of it, the power and the position, the drag aspect that are huge in a time trial. Um, and it's definitely been helpful. You know, if I didn't have something like that, you know, you don't have something to really benchmark yourself. You can't tell if you're improving. Um, and it makes it kind of tough uh, if you're, you know, just going by heart rate or feel. Um, you've got speed, but speed's so variable with terrain and wind elements and all that good stuff that you can never really know day over day if you're getting back or, or getting faster week over week. So power is the definitive you know, yep, I'm at, I can do 320 for an hour now. I can do 340 for an hour. I can do 360 for an hour. You got the benchmark. And as you grow, you can tell, okay, I'm almost there. Um, mm -hmm. So that really is one of the best things about power is, is the feedback it gives you, the benchmarks it gives you, knowing that the work you're putting in is helping you and making you faster. Mm. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think you're the first person I ever heard talk about TDA calculation, but that is pretty cool. <laughs> Don't you uh, listen to anything I talk about when I talk about <laughs> TDA calculation? Hang. I talk about it every day. Just kidding. Yeah, but Joe has like a, a calculator probably for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a little bit nerdy, nerdier than me on that. So, um, yeah, Joe, you, you, you mentioned your, your coach, Derek Dalzell, and uh, you had given me some, uh, some podcast notes earlier today and, and he has since partnered with uh, MindRight Endurance, um, you know, to, to offer some different services for, for clients with regards to training and, and coaching, I, I'd assume. Uh, and you are also uh, part of uh, his coaching team. Could you, you know, just talk about some of your coaching values that, you know, you share uh, with Derek um, when it comes to, to training? Sure. Um... So yeah, I started uh, kind of coaching with Derek in uh, 2015, the spring actually, before um, my accident. Um, it was something I've always wanted to do because you know I, I kind of poured my life into learning how to train myself and then realized I don't know how to train myself. Um, but <laughs> I still loved it. I mean, you know, it's you get to geek out over stuff. You get to learn new concepts and apply them and see results and read papers and all that good stuff all the stuff that you know i went to school for engineering and now i have like a real use for it 
um, put it into practice. So, yeah, that's one of the things that um, I take to my coaching um, that I do is, you know, everything I do, I try to, you know, I really, I really want a reason for doing it. I think a lot of coaching um, across the board in endurance athletics, cycling, triathlon, running, um, there's a lot of myth. There's a lot of stuff that just sounds good. So we assume it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, stuff that's been carried over for years and years and years. And, you know, you do it because they did it in the eighties and they did it in the eighties because they did it in the sixties. Um, they did it in the sixties because that's how they started doing it. Um, you know, stuff like that. And I really tried to say, um, for example, um, cadence, cadence was something you're always talked, you're always taught when you start cycling is you need your cadence to be higher. A good cadence is in the nineties, you know? Uh, it's pretty typical beginning cyclists mash the pedals. They, they have a slow cadence. So you want to get faster. You want to get faster. So that's one of the things everyone chose to do is make sure you get your cadence up. Do cadence drills. Um, well, I kind of disagree with that. Um, your cadence just rises naturally as you get more fit. But then your body, and they have the research to kind of show this, um, if you cycle at whatever your self-selected cadence is your vo2 is lower than if you shoot for an arbitrarily high cadence something like 90 95 um something like that so you're actually doing less aerobic work um if you just let your body ride at its own cadence that it chooses by itself um, instead of trying to force it someplace that it's not comfortable so uh, along those lines, I try and have a reason for everything I do. So tons of coaches out there give cadence drills. I'm not going to give cadence drills. I'm not going to try and change your cadence because I don't believe that it's effective. Um, and I think there's science behind that to say it's not effective. Um, huh. That's very interesting. Hmm. Because yeah, I, I so, do take that into consideration, but maybe I won't anymore. <laughs> no. ang has been doing cadence drills his whole life and he just ruined his, his 2017 training plan well you know it's it's always something that you know it's good to try um i always believe in trying things i don't necessarily believe myself as a as an unbiased source though like clearly i'm biased yeah. um about this i have a belief so if i go out and do cadence drills I'm going to confirm my bias and think that they're stupid. Um, you know, that's just how we work as, as people. Um, yeah. so I tend to, I, I always try to find some unbiased source, yeah. uh, study something that's blind that, um, I can actually take, take stock in or at least have more confidence in. But that said, there's always value in what makes you happy and what makes you feel like, you're having fun and you're being successful. So uh, there is, you know, coaching is not just a science, but it is an art um, because every every athlete is different. So this is kind of the other half of the story here with, with coaching is it's important to apply what you're doing to each athlete um, and their needs, their wants, uh, their motivations, because what 
create success with one athlete won't create success with another athlete. And you have to kind of learn about them. And sometimes it takes time. Um, it might take six months. It might take a whole year uh, before you step back and you really learn what is a strong motivator for that athlete, what works for them uh, and what doesn't because you know, there is no generic one size fits all when it comes to training plans. And mm. so, you know, that's kind of the other thing we try and do is it's really centered around each individual athlete. And, you know, none of my training plans are cut and paste um, from athlete to athlete, because even if they're doing the same race, they might not be doing the same work leading up to it. It's all, it's all dependent on them, their schedule and, and what can drive them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that's good insight coming from a, a coach and coming from, you know, someone who I, I probably couldn't afford to coach. Me. <laughs> um, but I, I've since retired, as the, the listeners know, so I don't need a coach anyway. Blah. Um, I think I could get you a discount, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> since that we go way was, back. That's the what I was counting family. on. That's what I was counting on. Um, and if you were to if you were to just give a workout, just, uh, you know, something – to maybe increase uh, the FTP, let's just say. That's one of the most common, you know, YouTube videos and and article topics alike. Um, you know, is, is there a go-to maybe workout that uh, maybe one of our five listeners can can benefit from? <laughs> yeah, Joe, is there, is there a magic bullet? No. Oh, okay. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Um, moving on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, This is one of my pet peeves. You'll, you'll go on training peaks and they'll write this article miracle intervals. You know, the one thing you need to do or bicycling magazine, use these five workouts to get your, in your best shape ever. Raise your FTP with only 15 minutes a day. Yeah. And you're going to get six pack abs. Six pack abs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, the, the answer is really, it depends. Uh Um, because it depends where you are in your periodized cycle of training, um, what your current, you know, you've got a power curve, which represents the max power you can hurt cold over different durations. And so it depends, where are you, where do you work on that power curve? Um, And how strong or weak are you in that power curve? Do you work from left to right or do you work from right to left? So that means you start with a massive base season and then work into tempo and sweet spot and then start hitting FTP workouts. You know, you want an FTP workout, um, those are easy. Um, you can start with something like a four by eight um, in the threshold zone. You can move to like a, you know, a three or a four by 10, a three by 15, you work to two by twenties. You can even get above that doing you know, it's all about time in the zone and splitting up to make it manageable chunks, uh, getting 40 to 60 minutes in the threshold zone. Um, and then as you work, you minimize the rest and you extend the intervals. Um, but what gets you there, um, you can start with, you know, long sweet spot workouts, um, working in that, you know, 88 to 95% of FTP zone. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to do that for a long time. You might start at like a two by 20 there, but pretty soon you're going to be putting in 90 minutes in a sweet spot workout. And that's going to boost your FTP. Um, you could also start the other way. Um, and this is what I'm doing. I'm time crunched. I don't have 90 minutes to be spending in sweet spot. So I've kind of worked 
um, from both sides of threshold. I, I've actually done very little threshold, even though that is my entire goal for this year is to have a giant threshold. I'm starting above threshold. I actually wanted to raise my anaerobic capacity. And by doing that, then I can raise my VO2 max capacity. So the amount of work I can do at VO2 max. Um, and then I have a lot of room to raise my FTP um, before I run into that VO2 max limit. Uh, because beyond that zone, you can no longer be aerobic or primarily aerobic. So, you know, your FTP can't grow. So that's what I've been doing. And that's what I really like is, um, you know, you can kind of push and you can kind of pull uh, before you directly target your FTP work. Hmm. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty, pretty interesting. And that's one of those things that depends on the person because, you know, I'm coaching athletes who are going to be doing P one, two stage races, you know, four or five day stage races, they need a huge base. Um, so they're starting with a ton of base over the winter and they're motivated. They're going to put in the 20 hours a week or, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week. That's going to be great for them. Um, me, uh, even when I was trying to do that type of stuff, I, I still couldn't put in a 20 hour week. I was doing 10 to 12 on the trainer and it was a lot of that sweet spot and it was a lot over threshold too um to maximize my efficiency um it wasn't the best plan um i don't think it was the best plan but it was the best plan for me um and that's what's kind of important a quick question for you kind of relating to being as a coach do you do you believe that you know everyone thinks they're a type of cyclist or a type of style like i'm a you know i'm a pursuit style i'm a sprinter do you believe that you cater your workouts or coaching to a specific type of style of rider, or do you, you don't think that's true? Well, certainly you're going to set goals. Um, you know, you, you meet an athlete, you know, their strengths and their weaknesses, you know, an athlete is kind of defined by their mean max power curve, um, that, you know, max power per duration. That's going to tell you what kind of rider they are. Um, is it, heavy to the left in the high power intensity anaerobic yeah they're probably going to be a sprinter is it heavy to the right um with their threshold and endurance uh power probably going to be a tt or um you're somewhere in between um so you you can learn a lot about a rider something sometimes you know more than the rider knows about themselves they always think i want to be a tt or i want to be a breakaway but then you look at their power curve and say you'd be an awesome sprinter <laughs> or vice versa um, so then, yeah, you definitely will work with the athlete, figure out how the athlete wants to win a race. Um, and that's one of the important things. How do you want to win a race? Do you want to sprint? Do you want to break away? Are you going to take a, you know, a 2k flyer at the end of a long road race? Um, are you going to target hilly races and try and, you know, maximize your Watts per kg to get away on climbs? Um, so yeah, you definitely will need to focus around how the athlete wants to win races, what their strengths are and how they can use those strengths. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, you never want to ignore a, a part of the power curve, even though I am not a sprinter, I still need to do anaerobic work um, because during a road race, I'm going to go anaerobic and eventually the finish line comes. And even if I'm you know, ideally in a breakaway, there are still a few other guys there who I need to out sprint. So, um, you're never going to forget it. 
but definitely you would you want to kind of define what that rider is how they want to win a race okay and that's not to say you can't train a rider in different ways so if they are a sprinter but they want to be a t-tier yeah you can do that um they might not naturally come by it but you can certainly develop a training plan to try and get them there Uh, Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense yeah you're just not trying to pigeonhole like riders into what they believe that they are and you can certainly you know train train their weaknesses to to uh, maybe help them win in different situations so yeah it makes a lot of sense um yeah you definitely want to maximize you want to figure out how you want to win your race and then you want to maximize your power that's gonna help you accomplish that goal well, Joe, as we wrap up, um, you know, kind of finishing up this conversation with you, and it's been, you know, awesome to have you on here talking about coaching, talking about power, talking about, you know, your comeback. Um, you know, what are some of your 2017 goals? Uh, I Again, I, I Strava stock you a lot, which you don't seem to give me any kudos, by the way, but I give <laughs> you so many. Um, <laughs> Called out. <laughs> but just tell us, you know, like, how what's – 2017 going to look like for you um you mentioned itt nats would be a huge huge target for you um but are there anything uh are there any other races that are on your radar yeah um i'm sorry nathan i'm not a big kudos giver i'm not gonna lie it's not just you it's everybody um, what do I have wife... to do, Joe? What do I have to do? I do intervals too. I do I do hard workouts. <laughs> my wife could be on Strava. I probably wouldn't give her kudos either. Um, not, a, not enough KOMs on my part. <laughs> you know what gets me? I like a witty ride title. So sometimes a witty ride title gets a kudos. I don't care how much work you did. You could have gone out and done, you know, 400 watt repeats for 10 minutes. What? I don't care. Um, but if your ride title is funny, yeah, I'll probably, probably give you a kudos for that. Um, All right. But uh, so sorry, I forget what the other question was. Your your goals for 2017. Okay. Um, yeah. So ITT Nats, that's a huge one. Working there, working TT bike, um, working TT position. <clears throat> Uh, type things the only other race i'm signed up for uh a big race is uh mount washington which Mm -hmm. is a big uh hill climb in the northeast um it's one of the hardest climbs in the world they say um and if you're really good you can do it in a little under an hour and that's the same time that ITT Nats should take. So I said, I thought, and I said, hey, maybe I can lose a few pounds after Nats, hold some power, and then just direct it up a mountain. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. Mm. Um, I had a teammate who did it last year. That made me really excited. I grew up in New Hampshire. I live here now. You know, Mount Washington is an icon around here. So I'm super excited to do that. And I'm actually, you know, I'm geeking out or trying to geek out about my position and aerodynamics on my TT bike. And now I've got this elaborate hill climb bike planned with chopped off road drop bars, a single front brake. I'm going to be running a one by with like a 34 front and a, probably a 12 by 36 rear. Um, wow. 
and then trying to build this thing under like 14, 13, 14 pounds. We'll see where it gets, but that's the goal. How light can you make a bike that's still rideable? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's been fun too. Um, that's the big things on my radar this year. Hopefully I'm going to be able to find the time to do a few mass start races here and there, but you know, honestly, it's not a huge priority. Um, mm. I do want to, I do want to race. I do want to support, um, my team and, and represent my team, um, because they're, they've been really awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty putting all my eggs in sort of two baskets here. <laughs> <laughs> 2017 which may be a maybe a dumb idea but at least i i know what i need to focus on yeah that's good i mean at least you have goals right not aimlessly riding for no reason um that's true yeah <laughs> wants to just ride a bike that's <laughs> and yeah we always appreciate the the things that you talked about of course you know coaching is not free so we're, we can't talk too much more about that but for the last question, are there any tips for people who are actually finding a coach uh, in the future or, or things like that? Um, sure. You know, one of the things about coaches and you know myself included is we do love giving out free information. So okay, <laughs> yeah, you go on go on any groups and you'll find coaches. You'll ask questions uh, online forums and you'll get smart guys who are very willing to share information um I'm but, but you're them. hiding the real stuff that's that's the yeah. <laughs> i mean but that's not you know nah, I'm just kidding. that's all, that's all the cadence all workouts he's hiding from us yeah <laughs> the secret once you pay me then i then i give you the good cadence workouts <laughs> um you know that's not even that might not even be the best and most effective thing about coaching is is the actual plan because you can go up and you can find a free plan online. Um, what makes it really useful is having an unbiased outside perspective who's always there to give you the feedback, um, give you the motivation or give you the, um, you know, uh, tell you you need to stop, tell you you need to start, um, tell you what you're doing wrong because sometimes you don't see that yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, kind of being a, a, a manager of your training. Um, so it's not just the plan, it's your life and swapping around workouts when necessary. It's managing, helping you manage a work-life balance. You know, you come to the coach with constraints and they work a plan around those constraints. And, you know, it depends on the coach. Um, but what I do is I'm kind of a full package type coach where you have unlimited interaction with me and I deliver a weekly plan that's custom and I talk to the athletes each week and I I make changes as necessary and we adapt on the fly it's all sort of um dynamic as you go um so that's what I think is really effective about the coaching um it's having one yeah the unbiased outside perspective who's actually you know hopefully pretty smart um knows Mm -hmm. what he's talking about and then having someone to help you work through where life and other things get in the way. So it sounds like a good relationship and a coach that gives you feedback. That are some of the important things an athlete should try to look for in a coach. Definitely. Okay. Um, Yeah. I think, you know, some coaches are just all about delivering a plan and then hands off. 
um, you know, that can be effective for some people. That's all they need. But, you know, the real value is do the workout. The coach is going to look at the workout and then help you if something was wrong. Know what went wrong if something went wrong. Know what went well if something went wrong. And then adapt and change because of that. Cool. No, that's a very good answer. Well, uh, I'll be the first one to say thank you, Joe, uh, so much for taking the time uh, in a in a very you know busy night, obviously, with your 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 wife, your your baby girl, and and training um, to talk with us. You know, talk about power, talk about your goals, uh, and most importantly, you know, it's just always great to catch up with you. Uh, as I said, you're one of my best you know riding buddies, and you know every time you're back in in the Baltimore DMV area, please you know let me know. Um, I'd love to catch up with you on the road. Yeah, you'll have to get up. You owe me a ride up here in New England. <laughs> that is true, actually. You uh, you did call me out on that. We might take a road trip one day. The big break, we'll we'll visit we'll visit your uh, your house. <laughs> you know, you're a pretty small guy, and uh, I hear you're good at climbing. So, you know, Mount <laughs> Washington's in August. I think you'd have time to train for it. <laughs> do it. I think I'm going to stay retired for 2017. That's my goal. Stay retired. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Joe. And thank you to the listeners who are tuning in. Uh, We I'll post all the links such as Joe's website for coaching. If you are interested in the show notes and we'll mention all the other stuff as usual. So yeah, go check us out at the big break.cc for our previous episode and some other content that we provide. Again, thank you, Joe. And uh, any closing remarks for you? Uh, no, just thanks for having me. It was fun. It was fun to talk about um, some power and uh, catch up with you, Nathan. <laughs> Great. All right. So, all right. Tuning out. Take care. <laughs>